Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. The words and music of Joy to the World is a common occurrence at this time of year, isn't it? And what a wonderful theme it is. Joy, something that this poor world of ours knows very little about. So, just what is this joy that the Bible speaks about? And why is it that, in spite of the Bible's clear message, so many individuals live such joyless lives? Well, the main problem is the lack of a relationship with God which would be the highest expression of joy and fulfillment. Sin, our sin, has destroyed this relationship, this vital connection. And people spend their lives trying to find something to fill the void with other things. In today's message, speaker Eugene Higgins takes a look at the familiar Christmas carol, Joy to the World, and explains how it is that people like you and me can enter into a secure, meaningful, and everlasting relationship with the God of Heaven through our Lord Jesus Christ, and come to know the joy that he wants us to have. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, and we'll break in at verse 9, and lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, now just bear in mind that in chapter 1 and chapter 2, we have just about 400 years of silence being broken. That the last time God spoke, he said that because of the sin of the people, he would visit, and the last word of the Old Testament, he would visit with a curse. Then silence comes in. No prophets rise up sent by God. No message, no fresh message comes from heaven. And then all of a sudden, the heavens open, and an angel appears to Zacharias, and an angel appears to Mary, and an angel appears to the shepherds, and the first thing heaven has to say is, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. Now notice those words in verse 10. I bring you good tidings of great joy. One more reading, please. The last chapter of this same book, chapter 24, verse 50. This is at the end of the Lord's public ministry in this world. His resurrection has taken place. And now in verse 50, he, that is the Lord Jesus, led them out as far as to Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed them. And it came to pass that while he blessed them, he was parted from them and carried up into heaven. And they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem. And here, the words with which he began his book are the words with which he ends his book. They returned to Jerusalem with great joy, joy to the world. And an interesting thing about this, as we will note later on, is that when Isaac Watts wrote it, he wasn't writing a, particularly a Christmas hymn or a Christmas carol. We'll note in a moment that this was actually a paraphrase of part of the Word of God, and that is why the words that you sing have more bearing on the second coming of the Lord Jesus than his first. But nonetheless, whenever you hear that tune, whenever you hear these words, I'm sure your mind does what mine does. It goes immediately to the entrance into this world 
of the Lord Jesus. It is one of the most popular Christmas carols. It is the result of the efforts of Isaac Watts, who wrote the words, Lowell Mason, who wrote the music, and some believe that George Friedrich Handel's Messiah also was a great influence in Watts's writing of this. By the way, Handel and Watts were contemporaries in London, although Mason lived a hundred years later. And this is what is behind the composition of Joy to the World. He never set out to write this as a Christmas carol. Joy to the World is based on the words of the last half of Psalm 38. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Let the rivers clap their hands. Let the mountains sing together for joy. Let them sing before the Lord, for he comes to judge the earth. Psalm 98 celebrates God's protection and restoration of Israel, his chosen people. Watts Carol rejoices in that as it expresses praise for the salvation that began when God became man. Both the psalm and the hymn also look ahead to Christ's second coming, his return to reign. He will judge the world in righteousness. Despite its lack of reference to Mary, Joseph, shepherds, angels, wise men, or the manger, joy to the world has become one of the most beloved Christmas carols. Now, there is one Christmas song that says that this is the most wonderful time of the year. I've often felt that. I have to admit to you, this is my favorite time of the year. I wish I lived in a world. I wish I lived in a world where every time you walk in a store, you hear music about the Lord Jesus. I wish I lived in a world where people were always thinking about others and practicing generosity and charity and kindness. I wish we lived in a world like that. And part of the reason why this is the most wonderful time of the year is that it is a time of fraternity, generosity, joy, and hope. It's a time of year when we are reminded, if you'll let me put this way, of what is really important in life that we find joy in people, not in things, in relationships that have been forged. So it should not surprise us to discover that ultimate joy comes from the ultimate relationship, a relationship with God. And that's what I want to talk about tonight, that source of ultimate joy in the, in the life of a human being, a relationship with God. I just need to stress two points for you. The first is this, that sin has destroyed that relationship. Sin has destroyed that relationship. It could almost be said that for many of us that we know everybody slightly and nobody deeply. Facebook, Twitter, texting, even email have reduced us to forming flimsy and fleeting connections with faceless friends. And I want to suggest to you that part of that search to connect, you see, to matter to others, to, to count in the grand scheme of things, is due to the fact that you have lost a relationship with God. Now, that is not a minor thing or a, a peripheral thing. We're not talking about which home you live in or what kind of job you go to in the morning. We're not talking about a part of your life or a, a small issue in your existence and experience that should be better. We are talking about the very purpose for which you were made. This is why you live. This is why God made human beings. This is why you exist. And for that very purpose to be ripped from your hand and never enjoyed is an absolute tragedy. It is sin that severed the relationship that God intended between us. You can see it come in in Genesis 3 in the Garden of Eden. And now after thousands of years, we are seeing the burgeoning, growing, increasing, deepening, worsening effect of this disconnect between the God that made us and the creatures that he made intending that we would know him, love him, and serve him. Adam's sin dragged his family, the entire human race, into ruin and consigned you and me to living, as the Bible says, without God, without Christ, and without hope in the world. That is a horrible way to have to live. 
without God, without Christ, without hope in the world. And if you have never been saved, if you have never been born again, that is how you are living tonight. That is what sin has done. And I would suggest to you that maybe you, certainly many other people, but maybe you, there are many times where you have sensed that something is wrong, that something is missing. And you have tried to find what it could be. And you have attempted to plug other things into that God-shaped vacuum, to, to fill that emptiness. Some people turn to religion. Some people turn to success. Some people turn to financial pursuits. But until a person knows God and has been reconciled to God, true joy and peace are elusive no matter what substitute you turn to. One man who was the CEO of a Fortune 500 company, he had reached the top. He had a lovely wife. He had a loving family. He had a beautiful home. He had more money than he knew what to do with. He didn't lack anything except joy. So he turned his back on it all. Checked himself in, quote, for health reasons, checked himself in to a depression suite to try to get some help with the emptiness that he felt in his life. Let me repeat, beautiful wife, lovely family, wonderful home, more money than he knew what to do with, checking himself into a depression suite. And as one of the people who dealt with him explained that when you are at the top, when you are at the top, life is no longer based on whether you are going to get what you want but on whether you're going to lose it. Because you see, without God, there is nothing certain in the person's life. And so sin, sin is what has robbed you of that. Allow me just to take two chapters, back-to-back -back chapters from our Bible to illustrate this before we move on. Think up for a moment about John chapter 3. And look at a man who has immersed himself in religion. Watch a man that has devoted, that has dedicated his life to the pursuit of religion. And he is a man with unanswered questions because his big question is, how? How can a man be born when he is old? How can I get this new birth? How can I ever have eternal life? How can I ever be sure that I will be in the kingdom of God? He was a man who didn't find answers in his religion. It had never brought peace to his heart. Do you remember in chapter 7 when the Lord Jesus waited? It was a Jewish festival. It was one of those week-long festivals. Not just a day, but a week-long festival. And the Lord Jesus waited through day one, two, four, six. And on the last day, he had let them have their whole religious festival. He had let them go through the whole rigmarole of emptiness. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, he stood up and he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. If you want more than this, if you're tired with just this, the vain pursuit of trying to do what's right and constantly failing, come to me and you will find true satisfaction. His religion had not brought peace to his heart, and his religion had not secured him a place in heaven. He is shocked to discover that he needs to be born again in order to enter God's kingdom. He is amazed that after all that he has done, and all that he has become, and all that he has learned, and all that he has sacrificed, that he cannot go to heaven because he has never been born again. Have you been born again? Do you realize, no matter who you are, if you have never been born again, you would be so out of place in heaven, you would feel that you were tormented beyond endurance. You could never fit in. Did you see a few years ago the picture? They had found a tribe in Brazil that had never been contacted by civilized people. From the plain, there were pictures of these ill-clad natives down there in the jungle, and you could, you could see how primitive they look. Imagine if we could just airlift one of those, just, just somehow airlift one of those right out of the jungle in Brazil, and then plop them down on Bloor Street in Toronto, right, tomorrow morning. Would he fit in? I don't even mean the clothes. I mean, would he, would he know what was going on around them? Would he be able to join in anything that was happening? He would be out of place, wouldn't he? You would flee in terror 
from the presence of that holy being. You would never want to stay there. You would find hell a comfort to hide you from the eyes of such a holy God because you have never been born again. No matter who you are, sin has robbed you. Sin has stolen from you the very purpose for which God made you. You are limping through life, picking your way down the broad road to a disaster in eternity. And in the meantime, you are never even getting a taste of what real life is. But of course, in John chapter 4, it's a totally different picture, isn't it? Now it's a woman, not a man. And while Nicodemus was a very religious man, this woman wasn't very religious. If he was a man with unanswered questions, she was a woman with unsatisfied longings. And if his question was, how? You're telling me I need to be born again. How can I get this eternal life? Her question is, where? You're talking about living water. Where is this living water? Whence hast thou this water? Where does this come from? She is concerned as he talks about it because she had a past that had not been erased. Many of you have grown up at a time in history where the human race is trying to get rid of guilt. It's doing its level best to make sure that nobody ever feels guilty for anything they ever did. You can blame your parents. You can blame society. You can blame your friends. You can blame your neighborhood. But what was popularized by Sigmund Freud has worked its way into everyday thinking. Guilt is a bad thing. It depresses you. It makes you feel really bad. Don't ever give in to guilt. Guilt is a God-given gift to helpless sinners. It is guilt that is intended by God to bring you to your knees before him to repent. Because if you never feel that guilt and face that truth, you will perish and be lost forever. And God does not want that. Here was a woman and here was a, a past that had not been erased. Don't pull the batteries out. Guilt is like that alarm going off, that smoke alarm. It's a reminder to you of how serious, how deadly, how lethal your sins are. And this woman had a thirst that had not been quenched. And she says, sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. You ever feel that? You ever wish you had what the Christians have? You know, there were a lot of things when I look back on the night that God saved me. There were a lot of things that came to bear, right? There were a lot of things that just hit me right in that meeting, that I was lost, that if I died, I'd be in hell. But you know one of the other things that just was flooding my nerve endings spiritually? I so much wondered what the Christians had. I was tired of fighting against God. I was tired of my sins. I was tired of empty, pointless living. I was tired of a broad road existence. I wanted what the Christians had. Is there somebody here like that? Deep in your soul, there's a thirst for peace. There's a thirst for joy. There's a thirst for having some meaning in life. There's a thirst for having a future that you can look forward to, hope. Is there somebody like that in the meeting? Because this woman found it that day. Where was this living water? Christ had it and gave it to her. And he will give it to you. I was so struck with the words of Derek Bach, who was the former president of Harvard. Imagine a man being able to answer such a profound question with just one word. The question was, what is the greatest problem facing students today? What is the greatest problem facing students today? Answer, emptiness, emptiness. You're living a pointless life if you don't have Christ. It's all going to end one day. It's all going to dead end one day at a grave. And everything you've done and everything you've become, it'll all be wiped away by the flood of death and you'll find yourself in eternity all alone forever. And you will look back on life and realize I never, I never even had a taste of what real life was. And you will then realize that it is because sin has destroyed the relationship that God intended for you to have. 
So please, you'll understand why logically. The only other point we need to consider is this, that the reason Christ came was to restore that relationship. He said that he came that we might have life and that we might have it more abundantly. He said that he came to seek and to recover, that is, to save those who were lost. This is why joy is such a Christian word, a Christian word. That's how the Lord Jesus describes heaven when he encapsulates heaven in one word, Luke chapter 15. It's joy. When the angel announces what is the result of Christ's coming, I bring you good tidings of great joy. By the time the Lord Jesus is leaving the world, the disciples' hearts are flooded with joy. Because since sin is what severed the relationship, on that rugged cross, that is what Christ had to deal with. He had to deal with sin, and he had to provide a way that you could be forgiven and be reconciled to God, brought back to God. That the broken relationship could not only be mended, but mended in such a way that nothing could ever break it again. That's what Calvary has affected. That's what Christ accomplished. This is the great, I was going to say unique truth about Christianity, but there's so much about Christianity that is unique, that is different from the human man-made religions that we have all invented. Here it is. The Christianity is the only religion in the world that presents a wounded God. The only religion in the world that tells us that God allowed his heart to be broken on a cross so that you could come and be drawn near to him and live with him forever, so that you could be saved from your sins. I can tell you tonight, if you trust this Redeemer right now, he will set you free, and you will get your first taste of what the angel called great joy. And if you want to have peace with God and a relationship with God and the joy that flows from those facts, then I want to tell you God wants to meet you at a place called Calvary. And he is telling you, if you will trust his son, you will never perish, never perish. Have you ever thought about the courage of the Lord Jesus? The sheer bravery of the Lord Jesus? Have you ever thought that for the first time in history, one human being was going to step into the gap between God and the entire human race? And that that one person who foresaw all of this was going to absorb in himself the judgment, the fierce, the furious judgment of God against the sins of guilty sinners. And that on a cross, he was going to bear those sins. And he was going to endure that wrath. And he was going to suffer that judgment with unselfish heroism so that you could live. If you trust him tonight, he will restore. He will mend is such a poor word. But for lack of any other, just let me use it. He will mend that broken relationship. You know, when a person has been forgiven, he enters into a joyful assurance of a secure future. He's no longer without God. He's no longer without Christ. And he's no longer without hope. In fact, notice just a few instances in Luke's writing, because the man who recorded the joyous announcement of the angels has a lot to tell us about the joy that Christianity brings. Listen to his words. Mary said, my spirit hath rejoiced in God, my Savior. Luke recorded Zacchaeus came down from the tree and received him joyfully. I read to you in chapter 24, they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. Acts chapter 8, you'll record the work going on in the city where many people were saved, and he wrote there was great joy in that city. He'll tell us about the treasurer from Ethiopia going on his way, rejoicing in the Bible. Men and women enter into the enjoyment of this relationship with God and the joy of coming alive, of having hope, of having God. 
of having Christ brings to them joy. may not always show itself the same way, but it brings the calm assurance that all is well for eternity. You know, when your queen's husband, long ago, the consort, Prince Albert, when he was dying, there were words he kept going back to on his deathbed. You've read about it? Remember his words? Remember, remember the hymn he kept going back to? Rock of ages cleft for me. Let me hide myself in thee. Some of his dying words were this. If in this hour I had only my worldly honors and dignities to depend on, I should be poor indeed. If in this hour I had only my worldly honor and dignities to depend upon, I should be poor indeed. What was he depending on? A rock that would never move. It's that rock. It's that foundation. It's that certainty that you can come tonight and rest on. Enjoying that good news which was intended by God for all people as the good news that has assured you that you will never perish. Yes, joy is a Christian word indeed. What would bring more peace and satisfaction than to know your sins forgiven and a home in heaven with Christ forever? No more fear of death. No more guilt over unresolved issues with God. No more of the sadness and grief caused by sin and wickedness in our world today. Yes, we can surely sing joy to the world. Why? Well, because the Lord has come. We trust that this Christmas season you will realize that he came for you. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, or if you would like some literature that would help you understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at anchorpointradio at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Believers in Christ who are meeting at various gospel halls Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday, as well as other meetings such as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. If you've been challenged by today's message and would like to know more about the truth of the gospel or of gathering unto the name of the Lord Jesus Christ following New Testament principles, take a look at our Anchor Point website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the gathering center nearest you. Our Anchor Point messages are also available for listening and download at anchorpointradio.com. My name is Glenn Todd. Thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that Christ alone is the anchor for the soul. <laughs>